The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Lacey. Good morning again. My name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at our location of Christ Presence on Music Row. And uh, welcome to our guests here this morning for whether it's the baptism or new members. And hope you can come back and, and spend some more time with us. You know, we're talking about a letter um, in uh, the New Testament called Galatians. I was, uh, this is a perfect segue, I was uh, watching Sesame Street the other day. Um, and. <laughs> Really wasn't watching it, but my uh, kids were watching TV. It popped up. I don't feel, you know, the last time you actually watched Sesame Street. Uh, I would venture probably not too recent, but uh, maybe you have, and you wouldn't stand up and say that you didn't. Um, it was interesting to see because it, it was showing me, I was watching, you know, all these Muppets dance around doing the things, you know, and then there's certain people, I don't know if you've seen it lately, but like Jimmy Fallon was on it, you know, he played the character and... You know, they'll have certain things, if you, if, to remind you of Sesame Street, they basically take a simple thing, like the letter R and the number nine, and they just beat it to death. They're like, R, run, and they have a whole segment on running, and then they'll, you know, do all these things, and the number nine, and they'll make you count to nine over and over and over, like nine fish, nine this, and you're like, okay, I get it, nine, you know. But they're genius at that. And, and they've even added, like I said, like celebrity hosts. It's almost like a kid's Saturday Night Live version. So they have these certain guests come on, like Jimmy Fallon or John Hamm or all these people, big actors that come on there, and they just look ridiculous, but they're helping beat into your head the letter R and the number nine. And then they finish the whole segment with that, right? This is brought to you by letter R number nine. You know, you're like, okay, get it. But it's so brilliant because by the time they're done, You've seen the letter R and the number nine used a million different ways. So many ways that you can't forget it. And that you can actually associate it in everything else. This letter is something, and I don't know if you've caught it already. We're looking at a letter um, written about the 40s, 50s AD. Not 1940s, the 40s, 50s AD. And this is after Jesus, Paul is writing to a church that is really struggling with just the basics of Christianity. Like literal basics, ground level basics. And what does he do over and over in this letter? Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about faith. 
Let's talk about how to live in the gospel, the good news. He just says it over and over and over. I don't know if you've heard how this has happened. It's almost just turning the dial just a half every time just to hear it in a different frame. And that's what this letter's about. It's, it's the simple basics of faith. And, and he begins the letter by arguing that in ways of people. And then even last week we talked about his opposing St. Peter, Peter himself, Paul. An apostle says, Peter, you're off. You need to relearn the gospel. And then he goes right into, Peter, let's remind you and everyone else. And this is a public note, by the way, in this passage we just read. Following him, telling Peter himself, the one who followed Jesus, denied him three times, brought back Brock of the church. This is the letter R and the number nine of the gospel. Here it is. The basics. That's what we need. Isn't that what we need? We need the basics. We need it simple. And he does it with these words. And it sounds hard at first. Maybe you read that and you think, okay, now he's getting theological on me. But he's really not. He's, he's using terms and words for them that would make sense. But he's really going ground level. You know, when Martin Luther wrote his just, I mean, if you want to read a commentary on this, his Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote a commentary on Galatians. It's phenomenal. But this is what he said about this passage. This is the passage it's called the basic understanding of how we are justified by faith. Listen to what Martin, the very Martin Luther-esque, what he says. This tr- is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. The principal article. Wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists, most necessary it is, sounds like Yoda, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and Beat it into their heads continually. Sound like Sesame Street for all Christians, right? That's what this is. So we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to look at the basics. And the basics are this. Let's define the blocks, the building blocks. What are the building blocks, right? What are the two little building blocks? And then how do we live in them? Like, what do we do with them? Once we know what they are, what do we do with them? That's really it. What are they, and what do we do with them? You know, when he begins this, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's not dogging the Gentiles who Paul went to, right? Paul was the guy who was supposed to go to those Gentiles. He's not dogging them saying, these sinners. He's actually saying, even us as Jews who have the law, the Torah, we can't keep it. He's getting to the basics. You just can't keep it. Everybody breaks it. And what he does is begin using words to bring them into that. He begins to say, let's crack it open and look at it. I remember when I was little, I wanted to know what was on the inside of a battery. So I took a hammer and I started hitting it, which was not a good idea. Don't let kids do this. So acid flew in my eye. I had to go to the doctor. You know, it was a horrible thing. But what was the deal? I wanted to crack that thing open. How does this work? How does it make things keep going? It's just sitting there. It's just a little like paperweight otherwise. But then when you put it in something, it's like, things just start moving. I was so curious. I was like, how does this work? Get a hammer. It shows you I'm such a Tommy boy kind of kid. But I'm taking a hammer trying to bust this thing open. I want to know how it works. Paul says, let's crack this open and show how it works. We ourselves know that it doesn't work if you just try and keep it. You just can't do it over and over again. And he uses this word justified. 
And for many of us in this room, you may have heard that word. It's not, you know, Justin Timberlake justified. For those of us that are lawyers, it's a little different meaning, okay? But what it means is to be declared righteous. It actually is saying this, that we're being brought back into the courtroom. We're being brought into a courtroom, and there's actually a scene where we are sitting in front of God the judge, and Jesus is in the room, and to be justified, it means the gavel's coming down, and there's a declaration of either guilt or innocence. It's as simple as that. And what it means to be justified in Jesus, it means that when he brings the gavel down, that he is teaching us that the, the guilt goes on Jesus, who's innocent, and his innocent innocence is what we receive. That is what declaration, that, that justified means. It means you're declared innocent because of Jesus. It means that, that you receive everything from him in that. And this is a huge deal. I, I, I remember when I was um, in te- growing up in Texas, and I did this thing through the YMCA at the time called Youth in Government. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. I don't even know if they still do it. But it would be like it, it, in, a, in a high school setting where you get to go down to the capital. So we went to Austin, Texas at the time. It'd be like going here. And it was during um, um, a dismissed time of the year, so no one was in there. And we actually got to sit in all the chairs, go in all the courtrooms, go in all the the, uh, houses, and sit where the senators and everybody sits and just run government. I mean, how scary is that, right? So, but we actually had to step into it to know it. We had to sit in the chairs. We had to feel it, had to experience it. I don't know if you've been in that situation before, but it takes you back to this. That's the basics of how does this work? This is what Paul's wanting to do. Hey, let's liken youth and government. Let's take you into a courtroom and show you how this works. You literally have guilt that you're trying to work out through the law, meaning not just the Ten Commandments, but you're trying to create a system where you can say, I'm innocent. But the only way you're innocent is through being justified in Jesus. It means the gavel has to come down and God says he's guilty, pointing to Christ, his own son, so that you might be innocent. Here's how big this is, though, for us. And this is what Paul is getting at and why he says this. He says even in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Tim Keller wrote about this in, uh, one of, I think, one of his best books he's ever written. Tim Keller, if you don't know who he is, he's a pastor from New York City. He's written many books. He preaches. He wrote a very, 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 very small book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I, I would tell you, every one of you to read it. It's, you could read it like that, super quick. But here's the premise of what it's saying. It's saying that every one of us is still in the courtroom, even though the, the gavel has come down, trying to convince God that we're still innocent. Listen to what he says. He says, every single day we are on trial. And that is the way everyone's identity works. In the courtroom, you have the prosecution and the defense. And everything we do is providing evidence for the defense. Some days we are winning, and other days we are losing. And Paul says, it's the Lord who judges Jesus, and it's only his opinion that matters. Here's how huge, here's how basic this is to your life. Every single day, you and I wake up, and we have our speech prepared for the defense. And we go into that courtroom every single day and ask for those who, whether we ask for their opinion of us, or we look at ourselves, whether in a mirror, whether in a work process, whether in a marriage, 
where they're in a relationship, and we ask ourselves, am I winning this? And if we are, some days we feel like, yes, we're going to get out innocent. We've got that. But what about the days when you're not? Is your speech not prepared enough? Have you not done enough to create that, to create something where you are justified, you're standing up because it's all about the opinion, the court of opinion of whether you are good enough, your innocence. We do it every single day. And we carry ourselves back into that courtroom. And instead of hearing the actual sentence, we actually look to God and say, hey, that's great. Here, here are some good things that I've done. I'm gonna, I have a lot of community service coming up. I'm going to take care of that. We look to God and tell Him and try and convince Him and even those in the courtroom that we still have earned it. It's ours. We got it. We're going to hold on to it. Justification, the basic building block of this, being justified means that you cannot justify yourself in any other way other than in Jesus. There is no opinion. This is why it has to happen. Again, I want to remind you, so many tangible elements that we've done in our service. Remember, why does Jesus have to come in flesh? Because he had to enter in the courtroom himself. He himself, the advent is that. The advent, the arrival is, as far as the curse is found, as we sing in our Christmas songs, is as far as his innocence had to go to reach our guilt. And for you and I to be justified, to, to remember the Letter R and the number nine of our just being innocent in Jesus. That's, notice the preposition that is over and over and over. In Jesus. It's all in Him. That's our term, justified. But by faith, it says justified by faith. See, here's the hitch. Every one of us believes that we're justified in something. Right? All of us want to be declared innocent. We bring that thing. But he's saying by faith in Christ. What is faith? Right? We, we talk about faith. I, asked, I was in the office the other day and I asked a few people in our office. I said, what, what, would you, what would you say faith is? And a lot of the answers were like trust, belief, those kind of things. But if you think about it, faith, those are just synonyms of the actual same word. Trust, belief. What, what is faith? What does it mean? Right? There's a lot of talk uh, in our culture about possibility thinking. This goes way back. You can read uh, UC professor, uh, UC Berkeley professor Wade uh, Clark Ruth on this. Uh, there's a lot of thinking that if you just believe it, you can achieve it, right? Like we have that in our DNA. That's a part of our society. This is water we drink. That's what we believe, even, even if we know faith, right? This is why when you're watching TV and you see in the in, the, in, in an interview after a, a Titans game, and they say, we, we came back. We just kept believing, man. We just kept believing. What, what in the world does that mean? Because <laughs> when it comes to being just feeling, being innocent, there's a lot of times we don't feel innocent at all. What is my faith in? What's that object in, right? Does it mean I just need to have enough? Like, is it a quantity? Like, is Paul saying here, gosh, I just, I just need to have more of this. If I just had more faith, I would... I would be able to do it. Is it just how, many, how many quarters you can pump into that slot of faith? You could just get, if I could just get there and believe it, right? Then I could do it. I could overcome. I could come over the hill. But what about the moments when you don't? How do you know when you've actually reached that? It's always frustrating when you're at a, at a meter, right? And you keep putting quarters in. 
And you're like, it goes, oh, there's just a limit. Sorry, two minutes. You're like, God, I just wasted two more quarters when I could have gotten more time on the meter. Right? And it says right there, only a certain amount of time. You just keep putting them in. How do you know that you have enough? Or is it a quality? Is there a purity of that? So, so many people I've talked to before of when they've come out of difficult situations, maybe a relationship, maybe a, a certain job, maybe something where they found themselves on the other end of some sort of pain or suffering, they just kind of feel like, if I just, if I just didn't have so much doubt, is faith having every question answered? Does it mean you got it down? Or does it mean something more? Because I'll tell you, when I've, I've talked to people who are really suffering and struggling, if you had enough faith, does that mean when you receive, maybe you get out of the suffering, maybe you receive something you've longed for all your life. Does that mean your faith worked? You had enough? So like faith here, it's an object. Notice the preposition in, received by faith, through. All this language, it's in something. It's actually a focus. Faith isn't a quality or a quantity. It's a focus. It's looking to. It's like a windshield. You look through it. These are the days when you have to put on the defroster, right? Because if you don't, yeah, that thing, and then you're like, you're judging. Okay, I'm going to freeze, going to put on the defroster first so I can see so I don't crash, but I'm going to be freezing for the next several minutes. We've got to turn the heat on. So you're playing this game with the defroster going up. But why? Because you've got to be able to see out the window. The windshield is made to see through it. It's when you start looking at the windshield itself when you can have a wreck. And it's when we look at our faith, look to our actual faith itself. Faith is not something about itself. It's about something else. And the focus that it means, it means to look in Christ. It means it has an object. And the question is, what is your object? What is the object that you look to? You see the building blocks. You're declared innocent. Now, and when we find ourselves still condemned, we have to ask the question, what are we looking to as the object that brings that gavel down? The object of our faith. What is the thing that's saying to me this? Faith is not about the quality or quantity. It's about the focus of what it's in. I remember flying to the beach some time ago, and um, I was flying by myself. I can't remember if I was meeting my family there or, uh, or the other way around. And, um, and uh, when I was flying down, I noticed when I was sitting on the plane that, that there, were, um, there were two kids on the plane, one came in and he was sitting next to me with his father, and one was sitting right in front of me. And as we were flying, I noticed that during the whole um, flight, I was kind of picking up on, this was basically both of their, you know, first flights. <laughs> or if it, if it wasn't, it was pretty new in their flying experience. And next to me was this boy who was just, I mean, he was like looking at all the gadgets the, the flight attendant came down. He was like, you mean I can order anything? And his dad was like, dude, anything. I mean, you know. It was, it, and he was like, Coke? No, no, no. You know, he's like, this is amazing. You know, more everything. Well, and the, the kid in front of me, though, I couldn't see their face, but I could definitely see their arm, and I could see there was a gripping on the armrest and the flight attendant coming multiple times to the chair just to check and make sure he could tell this was not a comfortable situation for them. And then when we landed, I got to see them kind of both go off the plane. My question to you is this. Which one got to the beach? 
Which one got to the beach? Both of them, right? Was it dependent on how they felt about the plane? Was it dependent on their quality of faith in the plane or the quantity of it? No, it was dependent on the object itself. It didn't matter actually how much they had, whether they were having a party or they were freaking out. The object mattered. That is what faith is. The object matters. It gives you room to know that you don't have it down. And what we do and what Paul is getting at is to justify ourselves by the works of the law means you and I are trying to construct a way that we don't have to freak out or that we feel like we got this. Hold my beer, I got this. That's what we think. But Paul is saying, get to the basics. The basics are this. The gavel is compound and the only way you are declared innocent is by putting every bit of your faith on that object who is immovable, who you do not put there because, because you're either needing him or not needing him. It's because he is. And whether you have doubt or whether you're struggling or whether you're in a great place right now, the object of your faith never changes if it is in Christ. And everything else changes because we have to build it up. Notice, even Paul says this, verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I rebuild the law for myself, that's what he's saying. If I rebuild it, look, he's making an argument to these people. He's saying, look, if I rebuild a whole system again for myself after I've already torn it down and said my faith is only in Jesus, what am I doing? I'm only proving myself to be a sinner again in my own righteousness. I'm proving myself in my own faith. My faith is in my own faith, how strong it can be. But what? If I have what? For I have died through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. See, it has to be beyond that. It has to be on, go beyond the, that, those basics. That faith goes into living. What does it mean for us to actually live and carry out those blocks, right? When I was um, in college, I... Uh, when Megan and I first started dating, um, we, um, she was asked to go on this. It was before we really started dating. And, and before that time, one of my best friends asked her to go to this, you know, fraternity dance or whatever. And so, you know, they, they um, <clears throat> you know, decided to make this funny joke on me. And, and so they played a prank on me. And so they came back. And I'm not, this is not a good quality, I'm about to say. But if, if someone plays a prank on me, I want to, like, not just do the next thing. I want to, like, take it to the next level. So essentially what happened was when they played this prank on me, I decided, okay, hmm, what do I have at my disposal? Oh, I have 25 pledges that are going to do my bidding. So basically, in our fraternity, I got all of our pledges. I put a kilt on. I stood up. This is in the days of Braveheart, by the way. And gave a rousing speech in Scottish dialect to a bunch of, you know, <laughs> freshmen in, in college when I was a, a junior to say, here we go. And what did we do? We, we marched over to the apartments where they happened to live in, close by, my dear, best friend in, in college and, and Megan did. And it, as they, I knew they were all out. I sent five of them to distract Megan and take her out. I said, here's money. Go take her out and act like it was, you know, something cool. My other friend was off in Dallas out of Waco. 
And I, they made a chain from, from, you know, apartment to apartment and switched their entire room. We're down to the toothbrush. We're talking mattresses, clothes, toothbrush, every single thing. So when they came back, they were in the other person's apartment. Yes, don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, it was so fascinating. And for the next week, they had to live like that until I gave in. I was like, okay, I'll help you move some of it back. You know, I kind of felt bad. But they were really pretty good. Actually, Megan handled it beautifully. My best friend was like, wanted to take my wheels off my car. And, you know, it was, it was rough. We're, we're still friends now, though. Um, but here's the issue, right? The thing I see most with those who would say they follow Jesus, is a great confusion of switching. We live, as much as we know we are accepted, we are innocent, and then we can live and obey, we still live as though we're trying to obey, therefore we're accepted. We obey so that we can become innocent. How in the world do you live not in a confusion of switching life, you have to know this very thing that Paul says twice just to let us know. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Hear it? Death, life. He says it again, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Death, life. We have to understand the, the only way to live in these terms is if we understand what we are dead to and what we're alive to. What are we dead in and alive in? Historical Christian faith is this. It means that Jesus not only came to teach us and we have faith in his teaching. He didn't just come in Advent time so that we can believe that there's a Savior and we believe that he came. We have to actually believe we are in every part of him. So that when we believe that the advent of, of Jesus Christ coming to earth, that we are actually in his life, death, and resurrection. That he is representing us in that. That we are actually died to, we have died to the law. And in that death, we actually die in him. And because of that, we live in him. I don't know if you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan. Old movie. One of those movies, I don't know if this is like that movie for you, but... One of those movies I could really see, one, it was so good and so gut-wrenching, I could really see it once and not see it again. But it's so powerful. Uh, if I ruin some of the ending for you, it's too bad. It's been around way too long. That's your problem. Essentially, the whole point is, um, is about Private Ryan and this whole band of, uh, of people, Tom Hanks leading it amongst uh, other soldiers who have to go save Private Ryan, because the rest of his family has died in war. This is the only living son left. And so the whole movie is about that. How are we going to rescue him and then keep him, save him, right? Well, there's all these deaths in the end. And at the beginning of the movie, it's, it's I mean, I bawled the beginning. Like literally for first 30 seconds, they show the line of white crosses of no names of people who have died in the war. And they just show an old Private Ryan walking. And, um, and you just are like, oh man, this is going to be one of those movies. And at the end, uh, Tom Hanks' character, as he is dying, looks at him and says, earn it. Earn it. And, and as, as everything's falling apart around him, and finally the troops come in and save Private Ryan, is saved, and that is, you know, saving Private Ryan, that's the movie. The end of the movie, he is back at those white crosses, and he looks at his wife, and he says, 
one of the most startling things. After having all of this death around him, after having his life preserved, after being brought there, he looks at me and he says, in tears, he begins to look at his wife and he says, am I a good man? Am I a good man? Have I done it? Am I a good man? And she looks at him almost confused in the movie as if to say, yes, you, you are, yes. To convince him. I find that so much of what we under, think of Christ's death as is that, is that I need, to, I need to earn it back. Have I earned it? God, have, am I good? have I done a good job enough of what you've given me? It's not the question here. Through the law, I died to the law. If we do that, if we, ask, if we answer that question, if we're looking to our goodness to rebuild some sort of structure, you're forgetting that you have died to the law. This is what's unique about Christianity than any other religion or philosophy. I remember talking about this with a specific student um, who was actually coming from a, a, another religious background. And the number one thing he could not understand is, why does Jesus have to die for me? What is all this preposition like in, through stuff? Why? Man, I get that I'm messy. I get that I'm a sinner. I get that I, have, I want to create a structure for myself to do these things. Got all these things. He thought, why in the world? And this is why. Because there is no structure we can build. It has to fall on him. You cannot earn it. You cannot bring it back. The only way of peace is through Christ. This guy, I love this book he wrote, God's Way of Peace. It's, for, it's called For an Anxious Soul. It's an old theologian named Horatius, Horatio Bonner. He said, believing is not a work, but a ceasing from work. And this struggle to believe is just the sinner's attempt to make a work out of that which is no work at all, to make a labor out of that which is a resting from labor. Sinners will not let go uh, let go of their hold of their former confidences and drop them in Christ's arms. Why? Because they still trust these confidences and do not trust him who speaks to them in the gospel. It's good news. This is why it's good news. This is why in Jesus' death, he doesn't say, earn it. What does he say? It is finished. It is unique to Christianity. It is historically rooted in the flesh of a person who came that we sing about, but we may not realize and recognize how powerful it is at what he's done. And we live in this Christ because he has come in flesh to do so in us. Look, he says, not only have we died, but we live in him. So even in our struggle. We know we're living in him. Look, that's what this table actually is saying. This table means that you're recognizing something very powerful. You're tasting a declaration. You're tasting something that you have always wanted to hear all your life, and you forget. Why do we come to this table every week? Letter R, number nine. It's the basics. You've got to be reminded of the good news. It is good. Good news isn't earn it. You get your life back, but earn it. Good news is it is finished. The gavel has come down. It doesn't matter actually at all how you feel when you come to this table because you've already been declared. You can come to this table with every amount of shame, 
every amount of difficulty, every amount of struggle, strife, hardship, and joy, and know that the declaration on you is innocent. That's it. Can't change it. Can't change it. Can't do a thing about it. It is yours. And because of that, you live in this. Doesn't that make you want to live more than anything else? Who wants to live out of their shame? How many people have been really changed, truly changed through fear and shame and judgment? I will change, but not for the better. Not closer to anyone else or the Lord. We're changed because he did this. And because whose guilt are you tasting? (laughs) You taste it. And whose innocence do you get to walk away from this table with? Jesus Christ. Let's stand.